Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Has this ever happened to you? You are with a friend and you're having a conversation and they start talking to you about someone they know and they tell you this story about them and they're really upset because of what this other person did and they tell you and now you're really upset and you just can't believe that they would actually do something like that. And so you walk away and you run into the other person. And the other person is like telling you the same story but a whole completely different set of facts. And they're telling you, no, it was the other guy's fault and is this, and now all of a sudden you used to be mad at them But then you hear their side of the story, and now you're mad at the other guy. Right? This happens to us all the time. Because stories are important. Stories tell us something about the people that are involved in the story. Stories tell us things that we don't even get just by talking to the person. That's why a lot of times you will hear people say, Um, tell me the story of how you got engaged, right? For some reason, that's a a thing that that people always ask. Like, if you're you're getting married, they want to know how you got engaged because how you got engaged, especially men, for those of you who are not yet married, how you got engaged is a huge deal. That's one of those things that they show pictures of and, and they tell stories about, and it tells so much about who you are. The stories are important. Because they tell things that you can't say just by saying it outright. It gives you a a feeling of who a person is when you hear a story about them. So today, we're starting off a new series called Bible Stories That You Thought You Knew. And the reason that we're talking about these things is because there are stories, there are stories that we grew up with, thinking that they went like this or they go like that, And how we understand those stories not only tells us about the people that are in the stories, but how we understand those stories also tell us about God. So today we're going to be looking at a story, and I sometimes hate using the word story because when we say that these stories from the Bible, it makes it almost sound like we're talking about a a fairy tale. But these are things that actually happened, that many of the things that that we read in Scripture are are historically founded and grounded in and supported by non-biblical texts. And so we're going to look at a story today that you may have grown up reading or watching on cartoons or listening to in church, and that is the story of David and Goliath. Now, here is the story of David and Goliath that I grew up with that maybe is the same that you grew up with. David was a young boy. Goliath was a huge giant. Goliath and his army were angry at David and his army. So David, who was a young boy, he took a sling. That was his toy. He went to the river. He picked up five little stones and put them in his pocket. Then he went up to the giant and he said, I'm going to defeat you because I am here from God. And David knew that God was going to do a miracle, so he put his stone, his little tiny stone that he got from the river, into the sling, and he, you know, what you do with the sling? He he slung it, right? So he took the sling, and he slung it, 
and he hit the giant, and the giant fell down dead, and David wins. That's the story I grew up with. Is that the story you grew up with? Okay. This is a great story. So let's take a look at what Scripture actually tells us actually happened. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles with you, just crack it down the middle and turn to the left until you get to 1 Samuel. It's right after 2 Samuel. Otherwise, we're going to put the text on the screen so you can follow along there. If you've got it on your phone, on your app, then you don't even have to worry. Just type it in. We're in 1 Samuel 17. And this is where the story starts. So the Philistines and the Israelites. Now, the Philistines are the bad guys, right? This is the part of the movie when we say, so the Philistines and the audience goes, ooh. Right? So these are the bad guys. The Philistines and the Israelites... All right, you guys are right in this. The Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. So I want you to picture this. There's a valley, and it goes up, and there's two hills on the side. And on the one side is the Philistines, and on the other side is the Israelites. Right? And they're getting ready to do battle. It goes on and it says this. Then Goliath, he's the bad guy. Right? Goliath is the bad guy. A Philistine champion from Gath came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. Now, what he did was he basically came down the mountain into the flat area in between them, right? And as he came down, the Israelites saw he was over nine feet tall. Nine feet tall. Now, there is some historical... Uh, discrepancies with this. There are some people who believe that when you look at the measurement, he was actually only six foot nine. But from my perspective, there's not much difference between six nine and nine foot. Right? They're pretty huge. So this was a big guy. However you want to believe it, Goliath was huge. In fact, he tells us more, and he says this. He wore a bronze helmet. Now, have you ever lifted anything made of bronze? This thing is heavy. And he's got it on his head. And his bronze coat of mail, which would have only covered his torso down to about his thighs, that alone was 125 pounds. Ladies, there are some of you who don't weigh that much. It was like him carrying you around on the battlefield. That's how big this dude is. He also wore bronze leg armor, right? Because the mail only comes down to here. And he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. Now, historically, if we look at that, that javelin that he's carrying is about 23 feet long. That's how long it is. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam. So a weaver's beam was the beam that was at the top of the, 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 the machine that they made to weave things. And so that would be about two to two and a half inches in diameter. Tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. This thing was massive. It was heavy. And he was carrying it around like it was nothing. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Because now think about this. Goliath, as huge as he is, was able to go all the way down the mountain, all the way to 
to the middle of that field, and he is looking up at the Israelites, and they haven't moved. None of them. They're just standing there. And so he calls out to them, and he says, why are you all coming out to fight? What he's basically saying is, is why are you standing there? I mean, if you're not down here fighting with me, why did you even come out? Why are you coming out here to fight? And he says, I am the Philistine champion, but you, you are just the servants of Saul. Saul was the king. That's all you are. And then he has this brilliant idea. He says, choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. Now imagine for a moment, you're one of the Israelites. You're standing on the top of the mountain. You see this big, huge dude at the bottom. And he says, listen, I don't need to take all of you on. Just send one guy down here, one guy. And we will fight it out. He wins, you guys win. He loses, all of you lose. Right? If I kill him, you will be our slaves. When Saul, this is the king of the Israelites, when Saul, the king, and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. No one wanted to go down there. Nobody wanted to fight the giant. None of them. And if you read the story earlier on, you will find that for weeks, this thing happened every single day over and over again. Both armies would wake up in the morning, they would put on all of their armor, they would walk to the edge of the cliff, and the giant would come down, and he would say the same thing, and no one would move, and then when the day was over, everybody went back to their camps. Over and over and over again. And Saul and the Israelites, they were terrified and deeply shaken. No one thought that they could beat this huge dude. So the story goes on and it says this, one day Jesse said to David, now David is our hero, right? David is the little guy. And Jesse is his father. So one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. Now, this is why this is happening. See, David and Jesse are not at the camp. They're way back at home. And so, because at this time, Jesse has a lot of sons, but only three of his sons were old enough to join the army. So Jesse had three sons. David was still at home. And Jesse says, listen, I want you to take some bread and bring it to your brothers. Because they've been out there a while and they might be hungry, right? He says, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. But that's not all. He goes on and he says, and give these 10 cuts of cheese. And I tried to figure out what, what cuts of cheese. I looked this up. What is a cut of cheese? Apparently in this time, when they made cheese, it didn't come out in individually sliced, you know. <laughs> it, it didn't come out like that. It came out in like one big hunk ball of cheese, and they would just cut pieces off of it as they give it to people. And so 10 cuts were just 10 cuts of their big, huge ball of cheese, which I've always found funny. 
they had a big, huge ball of cheese. So take these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain, see how your brothers are getting along, and bring back a report on how they are doing, which makes sense, right? You're a father, you have three sons, they're about to go to battle, you want to know what's going on. So I guess you send one of your children, <laughs> your younger sons, who's not old enough to fight, you send him out to the front lines and let him find out what's going on. So that's what he did. So David gets there. And he's bringing the bread and he's bringing the cheese. And as he's there, he overhears the people in the army, the men, the soldiers, the Israelites, he overhears them talking. And this is what they say. He says, have you seen the giant, the men ask? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. Uh, this kind of made David take notice. Like, well, hold on, wait, what, what? He goes on and says, He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Now think about this. The reward for killing the giant is the girl and no taxes. Right? And not just for him, but for his whole family... No one's ever paying taxes again. Did I mention there was a girl? Right? This is the reward. So you would think that David would, David would go, you know, I'm a teenager. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I hope one of you guys can handle it. That's not what David does. What does David do? David goes to the nearby guys. He, he's heard from these guys. He goes over here. And he asks them. It says, David asked the soldier standing nearby. Because David isn't sure that those other guys weren't, you know, lying to him or they had too much to drink, and they didn't get the story straight. So he wanted to be sure. So he went to another group of guys, and he said, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? He wanted to be sure. And they said, and these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. You get the girl, and you don't have to pay taxes, you and your family, ever again. Did I mention there was a girl? <laughs> so now you're David. You've talked to these guys. They told you that. You went over there and talked to those guys, and they told you that. And you would think, okay, that makes sense. I hope one of you guys can do it. But what does David do? He walked over to some other guys. Are you with me now? David wants to be sure that this is actually happening. He talks to these guys. They say yes. He goes over here and talks to these guys. They say yes. So he goes over here to some other guys and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Now, I, 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 wanted, I, I want you to get this because I was a teenager once and this is David, he's a teenager. I'm not saying that David did not trust God. He did. I am not saying that David didn't believe that God would come through for him. He did. I'm not saying that David didn't have great faith. He did. But David was a teenage dude. And I used to be that one time. And I can tell you that when you're a guy and you're a teenager, two of the most important things on your mind are girls and stuff. Right? So when David hears what's going on, David gets told, this is the battle, this is what's happening. 
And David wants to know what's going on. David doesn't go, well, I am a person of great faith. I'm going to go out there and fight this battle. What motivates David is the money and the girl. Are you with me? This is what made him make the decision to go out and fight the giant. God can fulfill his mission through your ambition. There are some of you in this room today who haven't made the commitment to follow Jesus because you are afraid that if you became a Christian, you would have to change your entire lifestyle and put aside your ambition to do this or your desire to do that because now you're a Christian. God can fulfill his mission through your ambition. There are some of you who, who haven't made that decision to be a Christian yet because you're waiting until you get married, until you find Mr. Right or Miss... Like it would be Miss Right until you got married, then Mrs. Right. But you're waiting for that. And as soon as that happens, then you'll be okay. But you're worried right now that if you became a Christian, if you made the decision to follow Jesus that you would have to put aside your ambition, put aside the things that you want to do in life so that you can be a Christian. And what David is showing us, what we're seeing in this story is, is that David's ambition is what drove him to fulfill God's mission. See, God's mission was to defeat the Philistines. And he didn't do that by having some adult who had great faith come out and fight the battle. He did that by getting a kid, right, who's just going through puberty, whose hormones are going haywire, and say, hey, you get the girl, and you don't have to pay taxes ever again, you or your family, if you do this. And he did it. God can fulfill his mission through your ambition. You don't have to put your ambition aside in order to be a follower of Jesus. The story goes on. So David now, he hears. This is what you're going to get. He's in. He wants to do it. The king hears about this kid who says that he wants to go do it. And, you know, he's a little skeptical. But at this point, he's got a whole army full of guys and none of them want to go down. Here's this one guy who does want to go down. So he meets with David, and they decide, okay, you can go. Go ahead and, and, and face him. So the story continues on, and it says like this. Because David is, David is arguing with him, right? And he says, but David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And then David says this. He says, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David knew that God was going to perform a miracle so that he would be able to face the giant and defeat him, and he would be rescued. Actually, that word rescue is, 
is not, the, is not a, a real accurate translation of that phrase. If you look at it in the original language, it's deliver. It's he will allow me to leave from that situation. And when you're in a fight against a giant, the only way you're going to leave is if you're alive and he's not. So David knew that a miracle was going to be what got him through. There was a book that came out a couple years ago. If you haven't read it, I don't recommend a lot of books, but this is great. It's by a a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell is an author. He's a speaker. He has a really great podcast. Um, But he wrote this book. I think it's his fifth or sixth book. And it's called David and Goliath, Underdogs, Misfits, and the Art of Battling Giants. And there's uh, different stories that he looks at, but the very first one is on David and Goliath. And he does a very extensive explanation of what happened when David faced Goliath. And it's one of the best explanations that I've ever heard. But in it, he talks about what David was doing when he went out there to fight Goliath. And so he talks about the sling. And this is what he says. A sling has a leather pouch with two long cords attached to it. So it's a leather pouch that's probably about the size of my hand. And it's got two three-foot cords that are attached to it. A projectile, either a rock or a lead ball, is put inside the sling, right? And this is what he says. It's not a child's toy. It's, in fact, an incredibly devastating weapon. If you do the calculations on the ballistics, on the stopping power of the rock fired from David's sling... It's roughly equal to the stopping power of a 45 caliber handgun. This is an incredibly devastating weapon. When David lines up, he has every intention and every expectation of being able to hit Goliath at his most vulnerable spot between his eyes. Now, historians tell us that the accuracy of that sling goes to about a quarter mile. That when it leaves the sling, the projectile comes out at 60 miles an hour. And what we thought were little pebbles that he was picking up from the creek were actually stones about the size, somewhere in between a pool ball, a billiard ball, and a tennis ball. This, well, not this, because this is, you know, not that. But a rock this size is what David slung at Goliath. Of course it was going to kill him. Of course it was going to kill him. It had to kill him. I mean, look how big this rock is. No matter how big the guy was, this hits you between the eyes at 60 miles an hour, and you're done. And the range of a quarter mile, can you imagine what that means? That David didn't have to be anywhere near the giant for him to be able to kill him with his sling. Now, this is why this is important. He says here, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with its sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone stank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Now, you remember back at the beginning, right before all this, when David was talking to the king, and he said, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear 
will rescue me from this Philistine? David was expecting a miracle. He's in a situation. It's a tough situation. We've done that. We've been in our lives situations that are tough situations, tough situations that we've placed ourselves intentionally in. And so here's David, and he's saying, listen, God rescued me from the lion. He rescued me from the bear. He is going to rescue me from the Philistine. God did a miracle, but it wasn't where we thought it was. It wasn't where we thought it was. Malcolm Gladwell, later on in the book, when he's talking about this event with David, he says this, courage is not something that you already have that makes you brave when the tough times start. Right? With me? Courage is what you earn when you've been through the tough times and you discover they aren't so tough after all. There was a time in my life where um, we were living in Florida at the time and business was great and then the recession hit and business got tough. And I remember, I mean, it was hard because I was managing the, the entire business on my own. I had family, I had two kids, and it was just not a good time because the recession hit the particular business we were in pretty hard. And I remember the feelings of getting the little certified mail slips in the mail and, and, and having to go to the post office and, and knowing they were all, all of them were about debt collectors. They were all people who said, hey, I need my money. And they were sending certified letters. And I remember in the moment, the terror and, and, and my body shaking and, and just feeling like, how am I going to ever get through this? But I got through it. And now it's, it's, it's this amazing thing because I look back on it now and I see that I got through that because God is, was going to put people into my life who were going to be facing the exact same things. And they needed someone to say, I have been there. This is how you get out. God brings you through those times for a purpose. See, the miracle that we see in the situation, the miracle that is seen in the situation, often happens in the preparation. The miracle that we see when, when the situation is bad and we see a miracle come up and we think, wow, that's amazing. That was not the miracle. That was the effect of the miracle. The miracle happened while that person was preparing for it. You see, remember back when David was talking to the king? And he said, I went out into the fields and I protected my, my sheep and my goats. Remember when he said that I defeated the bear and I defeated the lion? Listen, when you get a kid, and, and at this age he was probably 10, 11, 12, you put a 10, 11, 12-year-old out in the field and a lion is coming after its dinner and this little kid is supposed to protect it, the only way that that kid gets through it is through a miracle. See, the miracle didn't happen when David was standing and facing the giant. The miracle happened in the day-to-day -day of God protecting him and training him and putting him in situations where he would be facing an enemy that was stronger than him and bringing him through every single time so that when he stood in front of the giant, 
he had no doubt that not only could he hit that giant, but that giant would fall dead. See, the miracle didn't happen on the field with Goliath. The miracle happened when God over and over again saved David from the lion, from the bear, put him through a time of preparation to get him to the place where he could do what he needed to do. There are some of you in this room today who are facing a life situation and you're saying to yourself, God, why am I having to go through this now? You might be facing not having a job. You might be facing having a debt that you can't pay. You might be facing a, a, a health issue or, or a relationship issue. And you're looking at it and you're saying to yourself, I don't get why this is happening. Why does it have to be so hard? And what you don't get is that God is in your problem. He's preparing you for something else. That when God takes you through whatever it is you're going through, He takes you through that. That's the miracle that is preparing you for something else. And farther down in your life, farther down in your time, you're going to see that this amazing thing opens up for you. This amazing job opportunity opens up to you. This amazing moment where you get to heal a relationship opens up to you. And you think that the miracle happened there. And it didn't. The miracle happened in the preparation. The miracle happened in the tough times and in the hard times. We just saw it. Thousands of years later, the Apostle Paul would write this to the house churches in Ephesus, and he said this. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. So he's talking about God and how much God loves us and, and how God is doing all of these things just because we have faith in him. And he concludes it by saying, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now that phrase, he planned for us long ago, kind of changes the meaning a little bit. But when you look at it and you, you, you look at what the actual text was and what the meaning of it was, the things he took us through before. He's created something new in us so that we can see the good things He has planned for us. And He does that through all of the things that He has taken us through before. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.